and welcome to yet another week of Freightonomics. I'm head of freight market intelligence, Zach Strickland, here with chief economist, Anthony Smith. And Anthony, boy, do I have some questions for you. <laughs> I'm excited for it. I'm excited <laughs> for it. I was excited for this day. And it's just so strange how everyone's accepting the news. Christmas in July for an economist? Yes. <laughs> you get yes. a GDP? We get Christmas four times a year. I mean, <laughs> so we're obviously going to talk about the rate hikes and the uh, GDP release here uh, today. So, uh, but first things first, Anthony, tell the people what you're doing over That's there. Right. You're not ignoring me. You I'm say not, you're not ignoring me, but I feel like you are. I'm, I'm, I promise I'm not ignoring you. <laughs> uh, so I, if I'm looking down, I'm on LinkedIn and we're streaming right now live on LinkedIn. So if you're watching, it just so happens to be, just so happens to be 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on a Thursday afternoon. Chime in. We're live. If you want to join in on the conversation, you have a hot take around today's GDP numbers, what's going on with interest rates, hikes, uh, anything that has to do with freight or supply chain, or you just want to shout out, good morning, wherever you might be in the world. Hello, good afternoon. I'll be watching. And of course, we have a lot of economic talk today to get into about the second half of the year. What some of this interest rate hike means. Uh, the consumer, uh, obviously, starting to feel this uh, in a bigger way. Uh, and there's a lot of questions around the timing of this. So is is like, why are we seeing such quick increases? And yet inflation is still not under control. So we'll address that here a little bit later. But first up, of course, I have created a new segment for those of you that just can't get enough of that freight market intel, uh, called the market in two. You get my timer ready. Yeah, you get your timer ready. Uh, this is where I go into some detail about what we're seeing in the data, of course, uh, of the freight market in general and, and how to interpret it. So, Anthony, when you're ready, I want you to kick me off All right. for this market in two update. And go. All right. So first up, we have a chart of the National Truckload Index. Of course, measures spot market activity there in the white. Uh, the big takeaway here, not a lot of movement. There's not a lot of change week over week. We've hit a floor since about mid-May uh, in the NTI. So spot rates have hit kind of a, a lower end boundary for the time being. And the blue line, that's our contract rate for van loads. So the contract market has not necessarily reacted to the uh, spot market uh, declines yet because they've been plateauing. And of course, contract freight rates move a lot slower because they operate on longer cycles. Now, the big takeaway here, though, green line. That is our spot rate, our NTIL, line haul only spot rate. And you can see if you exclude fuel, which also is excluded from that blue line that you see, the spot market is operating at a deep discount uh, to the contract freight environment. So definitely something to watch there. If we move to our next chart, kind of look at something a little bit more leading our OTRI uh, situation here. So tender rejection rates, of course, tend to lead the spot market uh, by about 7 to 11 days in general. Uh, and this happened in March when they declined. Looking at the refrigerated van and uh, the national index here, all of them are kind of coming down except refrigerated, slightly moving higher right now. A little bit of volatility in the refrigerated environment. The van, of course, coming down, settling. Let's move to the next chart. Here's the reason why we're seeing some of this refrigerated activity uh, really pick up. Rotri, SFO, uh, and Fresno. So San Francisco and Fresno, refrigerated tender rejections hitting their highest levels in months. And you can see it's a very anomalous spike there for both of these markets. So produce season, still a thing. Uh, definitely watch out on the West Coast and the Northwest in that re reefer capacity segment. 
Yeah, 10 seconds to spare, but... 10 seconds to spare. That is impressive, <laughs> Zach. That is impressive. It's like you've, like I said, you've done this before a couple times. A few times. That, but, yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of questions we get are around the refrigerated sector uh, and its volatility. It's one of the most volatile sectors of the uh, freight market environment because there's less of it. <laughs> you know, you can't cover... Like, van is kind of everywhere. Mm. It's ubiquitous. <laughs> Refrigerated is very seasonal, very pocketed movements of freight. And that's definitely something to watch. Uh, for those operating out on the West Coast, you know, AB5 right. also has an impact on that sector as well. Right. And when you're talking about, of course, the seasonality with refrigerated, what's been the latest seasonal trends? Were they kind of typical of what we usually see or were they a little bit muted? No, not at all. <laughs> seasonality, really not a thing right now. Uh, I think Shelly Simpson actually did kind of reference it in her July outlook saying we're seeing a seasonal trend. Well, read between the lines they're starting to see some downward movement. I don't know that this is seasonal. Yeah. I think this is still, I think this is just them starting to feel that transitional state. You know, the market is in decline. Demand is in decline. Inventories are high. Therefore, shippers aren't moving as much goods, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, as many goods. And I think that's going to continue. Now, the big question remains, and GDP and, and interest rate hikes definitely going to play a factor here in the second half of the year. But first up, Let's talk about some of this port activity with our news, Onomics, uh, news of the day. Onomics. You know, you, you talked about this yesterday, <laughs> this first story that we have here. Significant shift in vessel calls to Port of Savannah helps drive record year. And I have a chart for this one uh, because a lot of questions that I've gotten recently are like, what is this whole uh, East Coast, West Coast interplay? It's not you know, hip-hop in the 90s <laughs> where, where we're debating, uh, you know, Tupac versus uh, Biggie and, and whatnot. But it is a uh, it is an interesting situation where we've seen a lot of shippers push their freight onto these eastern ports. And this is a chart that kind of shows that. This is custom shipments, weekly customs uh, shipments that come through the Port of Savannah and the ports of Los Angeles, Long Beach in comparison. And you can see 19% this week versus last week, <laughs> or versus last year, the same week, uh, up in terms of total shipments coming into the Port of Savannah. Versus last year, this time last year, Los Angeles, Long Beach, down uh, quite a bit there. So this is why Savannah is growing, because a lot of shippers have shifted uh, their port of preference into the East Coast because of the congestion issues. And of course, drayage is also a big factor uh, on the West Coast right now, AB5. <laughs> right. Uh, but a lot of people didn't know this. So this was already happening before these shipments hit the ports. So this has already happened before. Now we throw AB5 into the mix. That's only going to make things that much more exacerbated throughout really a sensitive issue, a really critical time right now. Yeah, and I, and I think the, the big takeaway here, a lot of questions that I've gotten lately too are around, why are we not seeing supply chains really untangle with this drop in demand? Well you've ever been paying attention, uh, you know, we're, we're seeing a retraction off of all-time highs. So it's cooling down, but that doesn't mean that we have the infrastructure in place to handle what we have now. Yeah, uh, There's still a lot of freight uh, coming through the ports that was ordered months ago. <laughs> there's still a lot of freight sitting around the ports that arrived months ago. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so until some of this logjam backlog gets, uh, gets cleared out, these ports and these upstream uh, problems are going to persist. And I think they're going to persist well into the, probably throughout the third quarter. Yeah, and, and one of the things that we mentioned, of course, you mentioned infrastructure. That's not something that can just get, you know, 
rectified over no. the course of a you know a couple of months or a quarter here. That's going to be a year-long project, two-year-long project, some cases three-year-long projects on really fully building out some of these places. Yeah, great point there. So uh, the next news of the day I want to I want to touch on before we get into our meat of the discussion about the macroeconomic situation. Uh, Todd Maiden wrote this article that basically summarized the sentiment of large carriers in the second quarter and the earnings calls. And I think it was a fantastic article. It kind of, if you don't have time to read through all the earnings uh, reports, I do. I love reading them. I think they're <laughs> fascinating. But not, you may not. This is a good kind of summation of the takeaways, the highest level takeaways. And really, uh, large carriers still see constructive, are, are still constructive on second half. Uh, so basically saying all these carriers out, you know, and we talked about this a lot last week uh, with J.B. Hunt uh, saying they still see plenty of tailwind heading into the second half of the year. And it, the reasons for that are pretty clear cut to us who are buried in the data and the numbers. Uh, their contract rates still extremely uh, lucrative yeah. <laughs> compared to what they were even just a year ago. Yeah. So spot market operating at a discount to the contract market, but the contract market is at all-time highs mm. still. And we're not seeing a strong downward contract. We're starting to see the early, earliest signs of those contract rates starting to fall a little bit, but it's still uh, 11, 12% higher than year-over-year values. So what would be something that would be a major shift in order to kind of bring some of those contract market or rates down? Yeah, I think we're going to start to see those once these annual contracts start to come down, like do. We're really... Intra- like in between uh, negotiation. We're in between bid cycles right now. Most of the bids, they were either deferred into later in the year or they're going to happen later in the year regardless. A lot of what we call bid season occurs in the third and fourth quarter. They start that process, they put it together, they send it out to these carriers, and then they start getting implemented in the first quarters in general or fiscal year uh, turnaround. So for budgetary purposes. And I think here in about September, October, we're going to start to see probably a stronger indication of what's to come. Gotcha. And, it's, and it's going to last probably for a few months, depending on the spot market and what we see in peak season. If September, which I think is the month to watch for the freight market, if September is soft, September has actually been the peak month for freight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, if you look at the OTVI and spot rates, yeah, spot rates have kind of inflated. Right. But in terms of overall activity and volume, it's really been driven most in September. And December has kind of fallen off. We haven't seen that intra-holiday peak movement in terms of volume like we would traditionally see in years past. And I think that's a great call-out because these are there are some timings that we look for Mm -hmm. in order to see there's some kind of a cyclical peak or seasonal peaks that we usually see. Last year during December, I was looking at, we're looking at inventories that actually ticked up in December. And that was really showing a shift in what we're seeing upstream happening and it's starting to play out right now. Yeah. And and that's a, that's a big call out. You know, we, we saw actually consumer expenditures dip in December, uh, the last two years and rebound, uh, a little bit. So um, much more so in the, you know, last year versus this year, but, uh, it it was, it's kind of this non-seasonal tradition that COVID has kind of pushed on us. So, the new seasonal norm for COVID has been September freight is peak season. Yeah. Are we going to transition back into a more not like traditional pre-COVID uh, peak season that occurs around November, December is some of this like last minute inventory mm. gets off the boats uh, and we start to see that happen because I think we probably will see a little bit of that this year uh, just right. because of the fact that 
all these inventories aren't necessarily needed. And, and we have all this clutter in front of these orders that are going to come in later in the year. Yeah. And, and one of the things that people sometimes ask them is like, hey, this is going to be deflationary, right? You know, you see all this stuff getting pushed out and um, that's going to put some dollar movement on certain prices. I'm like, yeah, to an extent, because they still have to get moved. Um, there's still going to be a charge on some of those intermediaries, but there might be some deflationary, like, you know, uh, implications for some of these movements. But really, when the replenishment comes through for any of the seasonal or timely goods come through, that's going to be another one where producers are facing so, those inflationary pressures. And that's def- definitely going to be pricing. Yeah. And I, I don't think you're going to be able to really apply any of the previous years to this one. Once again, uh, sorry, demand forecasters and people that are projecting out into the future. I think we're also going to see, again, this is more. This is still a transitional state, which means that it's very unpredictable. Right. Uh, we have not fallen back into societal norms, nor have we fallen back into supply chain norms. <laughs> uh, and a, a few of the big call outs here from this article. Heartland Express uh, noted that freight demand had stepped down sequentially from the first quarter. However, the carrier still finds itself in an oversold position. Fair enough. Like I said, coming down off of all-time highs. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a good uh, statement, I think. Uh, Landstar has been seeing pricing level from spot market decline that began earlier in the year. Uh, revenue per mile for dry van loads hauled by its business capacity owners fell 6% sequentially in both April and May, but has held steady since. Kind of reminiscent of some other data we just <laughs> we just showed you uh, NTI and of course OTRI OTVI we didn't show you OTVI today but both of those kind of flooring out through May and June and now into July so Landstar probably still seeing some of that same fundamental uh, stuff so you know big questions moving forward the inventory uh, dislocations and things like that are going to have a huge impact into the second half of the year Dave Jackson CEO Night Swift said uh, supply appears to be leaving the market at a faster rate than demand is slowing. That's an interesting take. That is a big take. So that is basically saying we're seeing uh, a lot of these operators leave the market. And I'd love to you know, see some of that data that he's looking at there because I, I, I think he's right. Uh, I just, I want to understand it. I want to know if it's leaving the market or if it's transitioning back into these larger fleets, which we noted in J.B. Hunt is absolutely a ca- the case. Yeah, and how he really puts that weight on the supply side more so than the demand side is also, I think, a huge part of it. Well, well. you know what he's doing here. He's lobbying for those rate increases. (laughs) Dave, I get it. I would do the exact same thing. And you do have a case, and especially since he goes on to state, uh, basically, we're much more sensitive to supply than we are to demand. Mm. And we didn't go into this one with a huge oversupply like we did in 2018, 2019, or like we did in 2006, 2007. Basically saying the industry, the supply side was not able to grow like it did in those cycles where we saw this transitionary state. Right, right. Yeah, and like you said, you, you can read between the lines and see what he's doing there. But no, it's, this is a huge take here. And like you said, I would love to see some of the data points that he's looking at. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think they absolutely have a case for inflationary pressures keeping those rates higher. I'm an advocate for, you know, operations not making 2 3% margins. Yeah. I think that's ridiculous. That's one of the things that leads us into these unmanageable situations when you have such tight margins, I think the industry in general, carriers are way underpriced due to their own doing, mind yeah. you. They're bidding things lower just so they can survive. Right. Uh, but that's, that's not a sustainable model. <laughs> no, 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 no. All right. Let's get into the big news of the day. So we've got two stories here. Yeah. One, of course, uh, the Fed uh, raised interest rates by 75 basis points 
And before this year, they hadn't done that since 1994. Mm -hmm. 75 base, another 75 basis point increase. Uh, and of course, we come out GDP down 9% quarter over quarter, the second quarterly decline in GDP. So Anthony Smith, yeah. first question to you, are we in a recession? Yes. Yeah, that's it. We're in a recession. By definition. <laughs> it's fine. I mean, it's not fine, but uh, a lot of people are saying that, you know, this isn't a typical recession. And no recessions really mimic or really kind of copy each other, you know, perfectly or anything like that. But a lot of folks are saying, you know, this is not a typical recession because, you know, look at the jobs market, look at the consumer strength, look at all these things. And that should be worrying that we're in a recession with all those factors really being in place in the first half of the year. And so once these factors start to kind of, you know, deteriorate, that means the recession can get that much more worse as we get to the latter half of the year. The other big thing is, is that, of course, we were overstimulated throughout the last few years here, last few quarters here. So there's going to be a come down. So it's not too much of a surprise. But the big surprise is no one's really seeing how weak the consumer is and how fragile the macroeconomy is. Now, one of the big areas that's overinflated and in bubble territory is going to be job openings. That's There's no reason for over 11 million job openings. And we're starting to see a shift in that now. One of the big things that we're starting to see on a weekly basis is going to be initial jobs claims. That's starting to slowly but surely tick up. So in initial jobs claims, we're seeing that there is an increase um, that's really starting to show up. I think last week's, previous week's show that there was an eight-month high for initial jobs claims. And I think we're going to pull that one up here. And so we're looking at that trend. That's a trend right there. It's starting to move up. That's and, an upward trend. So yeah. what is, what, what, I mean, he stated that, uh, Powell stated that mm -hmm. the jobs market is still extremely tight. Yeah. Which I think that's true, right? Yeah, it, it but is. This is this extent. trend is basically stating that the market is already in a correctionary state, correct? Yeah. And so this is what I, I think I mentioned it last week. Be mindful of the verbiage that's being used that still at record highs or still at record lows right. because those are going to be some lower data sets, but you don't have to wait until the proof is in your face to show that there is a downward movement from all-time record highs. Now we're nearing, you know, record lows or something like that. So... That's going to be one of the things, those areas to watch because this is going to be something that Powell, of course, is really trying to position the economy to be as strong as possible. And so it's no surprise for me that, you know, these interest rate hikes are happening right now because I think he sees and a lot of the Fed sees what's on the latter half of 2022, what's going to happen potentially in 2023. They need these interest rates to be picked up. They need these hikes because right now there's nothing in their arsenal to combat recessionary trends as we get a little bit deeper into this thing. But aren't these, aren't these interest rate moves very slow to have an impact? It could like, be up to a year. It could I mean, be up to a year until you can start to see the impacts of it. But this is going to be one of those things because we haven't even really starting to see the quantitative tightening that was proposed so, so much. We've seen a downward movement in government spending over the last you know quarter. So that was um, a slight decline. I think it was down 1.9% over the last, uh, in the second quarter. So we saw some downward movement, but that can be attributed, of course, to the lack of stimulus, stuff like that. We're kind of getting pushed out, but we haven't seen that true quantitative tightening in play just yet. So this is going to be one of those things where we don't know if it was a pump fake that we're saying, hey, we're going to do all this, we're going to do all that. It's going to be a good faith for a lot of investors saying, hey, I can continue to make these investments because the Fed is putting up a good fight for inflation. But that's going to be, like you said, a thing that's not going to really have any type of long-term actual play out for the next, you know, six to 12 months here. I mean, aren't we really just kind of, it, it, to me, it feels like the only winners in this type of rate adjustment uh, are the banks. Oh, for <laughs> in sure. In the financial sector, because it's so fast and so rapid. 
uh, you're really just pumping up debt and the cost of funds uh, for people that are trying to borrow. Um, you know, it's not adding value in my mind to operations or anything like that. And in a way, it's seemingly, you know, if you look at like the way that credit cards are managed, actually increasing the inflationary process. Am I right? Yeah. And, and one of the things that you mentioned um, about creating value, creating, you know, you know, essentially that value for businesses, business investment moved downward in the second quarter, especially when we're looking at spending on equipment. And so that's going to be an area, of course, that is going to be impactful for, you know, freight and transportation. Right. Of course, when you, if you're, and also if you're involved in the freight market, you're really operating in the supply chain um, and you're looking at GDP, don't look at GDP for really a measure or a gauge of how strong the overall freight market is. Of course, you can look at, we have in Sonar is going to be the goods adjusted GDP that's going to strip out all the services impacts that may not have a direct impact for freight and transportation, but also look to the other indexes, especially some that Zach mentioned at the top of the show, the NTI. That's going to be a much more uh, better gauge for what the supply chain is looking like, what's going to happen in for the sure. truckload market. Look, look at volumes, look at rejection rates, look at spot rates, look at all these things that we have in Sonar to see what the strength of the supply chain or what the strength of your segment of the freight market is, don't look at the overall GDP. So, I, I mean, I, I, I've got to ask too, it, since, you know, I, I kind of run through this in my head a little bit, and I'm not an economist <laughs> by any means, but uh, it feels to me like this corrective action is targeting the wrong sector. Because, you know, when we look at our sonar data, we're looking at flatbed rejection rates, your favorite index, uh, and, and things like that, that show the industrial sector was really lagging. And like it didn't, it wasn't part of this huge economic outbreak uh, that we saw the early part of the pandemic and into really the, it was only the last few months of the pandemic era, as I would call it, mm -hmm. that we had the, an industrial sector. Uh, I mean, construction was relatively robust, but the industrial sector really didn't show up until maybe the last half of last year mm -hmm. and then into this year. And that's really who this, these interest rates really have the most impact on, right? Exactly. So you're looking at, um, so one of the ones that just came out today, uh, durable good orders, so non-defense capital goods new orders. And it moved up slightly 0.5% on this most recent report, but we did see downward movement and of course the ISM PMI new orders component showing that there's been a contraction for the first time in two years for ISM PMI new orders. We're also seeing that there was a first downward movement in 2022 down 0.2% for industrial production, which is going to be tangible industrial goods, manufacturing goods over the last, you know, um, uh, month here. And so when we're looking at these durable good orders, the upward movement overall should be noted. So we have durable good orders here. Um, Zach, I got to mention um, durable good orders because it, this, there's certain components within it. Mm -hmm. One of them being um, defense spending. I got a lot. 80.6% Oh my! monthly increase for defense spending. So when you look at where some of this increase was for the most recent durable goods report, look no further than defense spending, wow, which is just, volatile. you just threw an Easter egg at us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And this is something that's volatile. It's not going to be something that's, you know, hey, this is a trend. When I was, you know, doing executive consulting and forecasting, this is one that we're like, hey, you know, we can kind of find some trends, but this is definitely a volatile area. This can be changed by geopolitical things. This can just Obviously, be changed we have by... a, a pretty volatile geopolitical environment. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And so this is going to be one of those areas that you don't really want to depend on for volumes or really look at, to, you know, this is why it gets extracted out when you look at non-defense capital goods, new orders on a uh, year-to-year or, or month-to-month level. 
Um, so this is going to be one of those areas we watch. But really at the core of it, yes, we're in a recession. And no, it shouldn't be downplayed. And yes, it can get a lot worse depending on how fragile these macroeconomic indicators like the jobs market, um, the quit rate, things like that are really going to be into play. And of course, credit card spending. This has nothing to do with freight here. Um, this next point that I'm making, but AT&T had a, a quarterly call. Um, one of the areas that um, they saw a downward movement in was people being able to pay their bills and so pay pay their phone bill. So that was oh. one of those areas. When we got the jobs market in the previous report, we saw that there was a lower participation rate, but we did see a tick up in payroll. So that shows that more people are working second jobs. So this is really shaping up. I'm not, you know, trying to paint a picture here, <laughs> but kind of showing that the consumer isn't on as steady ground as some, you know, people might say that they are. So is this an overcorrection with the Fed's increase in rates? I don't think it's an overcorrection. It's them trying to pad their chances at the latter half of this thing. I just feel like it's, it's, they're, they're creating their own environment oh, to pad it. For sure. <laughs> it's like they're for creating sure. the problem to fix later. <laughs> oh, 100%. That's exactly what they're doing. Oh, and, and when we were on, I think, uh, what was it, Bill Priestley's roundtable? Yeah. And um, he asked us if we're scared of, you know, the upcoming months. I've said I'm more scared of the potential solution that the Fed might try to use and implement. <laughs> oh my gosh. This is it right here. Um, this is going to be some things that I, I'm going to be fearful of how they try to fix this thing. Well, the only thing to fear is fear itself, Anthony. So, <laughs> Wise uh, word. <laughs> yeah, that'll, that'll wrap us up for this week's Freightonomics. Of course, reach out to us. Watch us on YouTube. Hit that like, thumb up. Uh, I know they got rid of the thumbs down, but it won't hurt my feelings. <laughs> We're tough running. Also, drink more water. Hydrate. Get good sleep. I saw. I read a good sleep study Ooh. this week, and it's it just showed how important it is to crucial uh, operations. Especially so, with drivers. See you next right. week. <laughs>